Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work in business development at a tech startup while living in Mexico, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a 2019 journalism grad who is now the team lead of BizDev for Bucket Listers. But before I introduce you to Sam Levin, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter with career advice, insights, and inspiration for college students and young professionals. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my cold brew biz dev lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Sam Levin, the business development team lead at Bucket Listers, the website that curates the official list of things to do in all kinds of cities. Are you guys around the world, Sam? Just the United States right now. Okay. All over the U.S. And it's for over 10 million everyday explorers. Sam joined Bucket Listers in March 2021, and he was the 11th employee of a team that is now well over 30 strong. And he's worked directly with the leadership to grow the company. Prior to joining Bucket Listers, Sam was a biz dev manager of corporate sales at B&H Photo and Video, where he managed business-to-business accounts, including Nike, Peloton, Tesla, and PepsiCo. While he was still an undergrad, Sam had a whole bunch of internships at companies like iHeartMedia, where he was a digital content intern, at Meki Media Relations, a boutique PR agency in Chicago, at Me Too Network, a venture-backed startup Hispanic digital media company as a content creation intern, and finally at Ryan Seacrest Studios as a news production intern. Sam, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. It is such a pleasure to have you. And why don't we start off by telling our listeners what kind of caffeine you like to jam on in Mexico and where you are in Mexico. Mexico is really the first time I got into any sort of coffee espresso. To be honest, we'll talk a little bit about mindfulness. I love tea. I'm a big tea drinker, whether it's caffeinated or non-caffeinated. Most of the time, it is not caffeinated. And I like to say I have a lot of natural energy. I don't get tired very easily. So I've never been crazy into caffeine or energy drinks or anything like that. For your sake, I will say that I actually did drink a good amount of coffee in Mexico. I liked it plenty. (laughs) Okay, nice. So what kind of coffee did you have today? 
Today, nothing, just water. I woke up and I had plenty of water, like three oh. glasses already. <laughs> oh, okay. And where are you in Mexico and where is it? So I was country? currently in San Miguel de Allende, which is the northern tip of Mexico. It's about three hours north of Mexico City. That was a six-month class. I'm now back in New York, actually. So I've moved back into New York from Mexico. I did a 16-week course Tuesday and Wednesday nights after I worked from 9 to 6. Or you know, sometimes in a startup, you're actually working from 7 a.m. to 6 or whatever it was. I would do an hour and a half lesson with the Instituto Allende, which is the university there in San Miguel de Allende. Really, class was all day, every day. It was meeting with friends. It was going to a cafe. It was an immersive life experience. It was definitely when I was traveling throughout Mexico. But really, the classes is when I had one-on-one interaction with my Spanish-speaking teacher who didn't speak any English. And that was as hard and as fun and as immersive as I signed up for. So how is your Spanish now? It's good. You know, Since I've gotten back to New York, I always feel like I want to use it more and more. Then I use it and I'm like, oh, it's still there. Like I still really do have it. It's very second nature to me now. Nice. Okay. Well, I gave a very top line description of bucket listers in the intro, but you work there. (laughs) Could you give our listeners a bit more context as to what bucket listers is, when it was founded and Mm -hmm. what its mission is? Sure. I think it would help to give a little background on how I found Bucket Listers. I moved to New York after college. I was very much into things to do, best date spots, best speakeasies, everything like that. And this Instagram account kept popping up on my feed that was highlighting all this. It's your go-to, what do I want to do this weekend? The best things, the pop-ups, everything like that. And as I got into living in the city and got better and better at going out or finding the great spots, it just became something that aligned with me. And when a job opening opened up and a friend from college was the director of business development there, I reached out to her on LinkedIn. I texted her. I was mutual friends with her and jumped into the job interview. And it was really about less about my skills because I didn't have any ticketing background and more about my passion for travel and my passion for finding great spots and great things to do and understanding that I was really the demographic. And so I had a really keen point of view that they were looking for from a business development side. So reached out and obviously got the job. And now it's really something where I am curating or connecting the dots between small businesses and brands or doing everything and anything from a helicopter ride across the city to a cupcake making class, to a New Year's Eve party. I'm actually the one negotiating the deal structure. How many tickets? What's the capacity? What's the price point that I think our audience of 25 to 35-year-olds is actually going to purchase? Everything like that. And we work with small businesses. We work with big businesses, huge corporate companies like Michelob Ultra or Anheuser-Busch or Netflix to do promotion around their events. All the cool big buildings like One Summit Vanderbilt or the One World Trade Center, we're promoting those as well. Nice. So I guess living in Mexico must have been on your bucket list. Certainly learning Spanish. Learning Spanish. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how did that work? You've moved back now to New York. You Mm -hmm. were in New York before you moved to Mexico. How did that work-life studying Spanish balance work for you when most of your, if not all of your clients were Mm -hmm. in the U.S.? How did that arrangement work out? 
was really interesting. I was kind of led by example. My CEO, his name is Andy Letterman at Bucket Listers, kind of mixes his time up between Miami and New York and he travels a whole bunch. And I was able to see it. And he's the epitome of success. So I was able to see what he's doing and be like, hey, what's on my bucket list? Where do I want to live? The time zone was the most important. The fact that Mexico is in central time zone opened up the door when my lease was ending in New York. And it was really a question of what's on my bucket list. Okay, it's to learn Spanish. Well, how am I going to do that? It's not Duolingo in New York when I have all these other things. It's probably living there immersively and diving in. My aunt is from Tijuana in Mexico. And her and my uncle had their post-honeymoon trip to San Miguel de Allende 20 years ago. Once it kind of came up that I was looking at living in Mexico, it was very quick that my uncle Doug was like, it has to be San Miguel. You're going to love this place. You don't need a car. There's a lot of safety nets. There's a lot of people that do speak English there. It's a very well-run city, clean water, everything like that. Checked all my boxes. Maybe an hour later, I, called, I told my dad. So I was like, hey, I'm moving to Mexico. And he's like, what? And I was like, no, I actually am. And I think it's a good plan. I think it's going to work really well. And so he was with it. And how did it work out for you on the work mm-hmm. side with mm-hmm. building the business side of bucket listers from Mexico? Yeah. Great question. I mean, a lot of it was partly overlapped with COVID. So there wasn't a lot of in-person meetings happening at the time. And so again, it opened up the door for me to work remote, to do a lot of video calls, Zoom calls like we're on now. To be honest, it actually allowed me to dive into work more. The biggest doubter, the biggest skeptic of moving to Mexico was myself. It was something of, am I going to be able to work balance? And I was really had a prove it mentality, prove it to myself that it wasn't going to make me fall back or distract me from working. So work was a priority. I almost understood that I was fortunate enough to do this opportunity to live in Mexico. I had to earn it as well. And that was a great lesson that I kind of taught myself as I just kind of flowed into it. It was really nice. I had more alone time. I wasn't distracted. I was really locked in and loaded when I was going to a cafe or a workshop. I had a tremendous work-life balance that was really work focused. But during dinner, if I felt like I wanted to get a couple extra emails out, no one's with me at dinner. I'm alone. I could totally do that. And so it just became this thing of what do I want to do at this time? And if it's midday and I want to go shoot basketball for an hour, great, I'll go shoot basketball because I have plenty of time. I'm chopping up my schedule the way I want it to be chopped up. So let's talk about what you're doing now at Bucket Listers. Before we started recording, you mentioned to me that you just got promoted. So congratulations. Thank you. You are BizDev team lead now for Bucket Listers. So what does that title mean? And what are your responsibilities? Yeah, great question. So when you're working at a startup, there's a lot of movement, obviously, which means there's a lot of opportunity for growth. So I felt that in the last three months, I've been promoted twice and really gotten to work closely with the CEO, the leadership team. And now I'm actually on that leadership team. I have a team under me. I'm managing a couple people in New York and Chicago. And with that means reviewing their proposals, understanding that their success is my success. It's a whole new wave of management and leadership that I'm diving into, understanding that I have a lot of things on my plate personally to get up from a partner standpoint and managing all these partner relationships. But it's not just about my pipeline anymore. It's actually about the team and understanding the whole vision of success from a business development side. Much more granular. It's very fun. But at the same time, I do need to strategize more. And I do need to think through rather than just like diving into emails. Yeah. So break it down for us. What 
do you actually do in this job? Yes, part of it is now managing a team of what is it? Four people? Yes, yeah, so it's a team of of six, my manager and then underneath my manager is myself and then the team below. Really from what it is is it's going to be continuing to negotiate with my partners and discussing deals on my pipeline and then obviously going to be setting up meetings to help onboard our team members that are new that are still understanding the negotiation process of when we're talking to a partner uh, we have two business models so one is flat fee working with a partner like a white claw or a netflix that doesn't have a ticketed event and then we have the whole world of ticketing from concerts to cupcake making classes or ceviche making classes or Oktoberfest where we have beer halls or emo brunch, which is a bucket listers presents division, which is a brand new division where we're actually hosting, running, signing the lease to different things. We're really, really, really the ones leading the charge on that. It's the world of ticketed events, but really the world of experiences. Bucket Lister's goal is to inspire experiences. Don't buy a watch, buy an experience for your husband, something like that. Okay, cool. And you mentioned working with partners. Sure. I know because I've seen your resume that you talk about negotiating contracts with venues, with artists, and Mm -hmm. with companies to plan events in various cities. When I read that, Sam, it sounded to me like more of a marketing function. Could you give us an example of something that you have planned or artists that you've signed up and what it was that they were doing? Yeah, of course. You're right. Bucket Listers is a marketing platform where social media driven Instagram and TikTok are really our bread and butters. We have a huge email newsletter following Facebook as well. We're using social media organically. So no paid ads to reach our audience. These are people that are repeat customers. They're looking at our Instagram every day, interested and engaged of what we're going to be posting out there and ready to purchase tickets actually of what those are. So last weekend, we actually had our biggest weekend in Bucket Listers history. We had about seven events. Governor's Ball is a partner of ours. That's a music festival in New York. Their main goal is to have that brand feel New York wide, not just at City Field where the Mets play and where the actual event is hosted, but also in these post party events. So I planned two of them. One of them was in Long Island City. We got artists from GovBall to actually perform and we promoted it as a GovBall After Dark series. So it's a post party and we did two of those. So Friday night was in Long Island City at the Summer Club. And then Saturday was at this very famous photography museum called Photographiska, where we had four different DJs on two different levels performing. Bucket Listers is selling tickets to it. We're marketing it, promoting it, handling the customer service side, really a one-stop shop for customers as well as for venue partners. That's kind of what we did there. It was a huge success, really great. But on top of that, we also had a wine fest this weekend that we didn't host, but we promoted. So we're working with a partner on that. The Williamsburg Hotel in New York had a Baker Mac concert. He's a big DJ. And we sold tickets to their VIP booth and GA tickets to their pool area. So it is really, really, really a busy time, but a fun time to see how many people are engaged in New York, one, but also just worldwide. We've, as you mentioned, 10 different cities in in the United States. What I love about this, first of all, it sounds like a really fun job (laughs) for somebody who's in their early mid twenties to be focused on like fun activities Mm -hmm. that your demographic would be attending. (laughs) The other thing is that 
you were not like a marketing major Mm -hmm. in school. You majored in journalism. How did you make that transition into the world of sales? And we Mm -hmm. should probably also for our listeners, Sam, break down the difference between a sales function and a business development biz dev function. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, my biggest doubt in college was if journalism was right for me. If I was writing or doing broadcast or multi-platform journalism, if it was a fit from a career standpoint. I doubted a lot of my career up until really bucket listers. Something I spoke about on when you first heard my name was on my mom's podcast. And that was the idea of stepping stones. The idea of you don't need your dream job right away. And you kind of just need to continue to learn and figure out what you like and don't like. And that was B&H photo and video for me. That was my first job out of college working with the Pelotons and the Nikes and being on a team where I was at a big company. I wasn't really talking to our leadership team. I didn't understand the vision of the company. And that was a little frustrating, but it was a stepping stone. I was learning the business development side of a journalism company, a company that sells you know, photo and video and understanding the importance of quality lighting or anything like that that I now apply to bucket listers and what makes our content good. Ultimately, what's going to drive sales is the quality of content. And so that's really the stepping stone of understanding that I didn't need it all at once. I did have a lot of career doubts. And then you find something that you're really passionate about and you kind of you know ride with it. It's all about those transferable skills, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's what journalism is and communications and understanding how to even do an interview or understanding how to speak well, not use um or ah, as simple as that. So what is the difference in your mind between sales Mm -hmm. and business development? Great question. Sales to me feels like what I actually learned at B&H. He said, don't be a car salesman. Don't be trying to force something down someone's throat. Business development feels like the growth of relationships. A lot of the time I'm talking to a partner, I'm not even talking about the one contract we're discussing now. I'm talking about a 10-year relationship where, hey, if we take our time and actually make this a great event, annually, we can just create amazing events because we've already gone through all the nitty-gritty, the difficult details. So apologies if it's an extra 5 emails back and forth. But I really want this to be perfect so that next year... When we're running the same event, we know what worked and what didn't work. And we have a really successful event that has a ton of momentum with it. Yeah. It sounds to me like sales is more transactional Mm -hmm. and biz dev is more partnership development. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I couldn't have said that better. So you mentioned B&H photo and video where you worked right out of school. Mm -hmm. How did you get that job? I took my time post-college process. Currently, I'm two for two in interviews. So I've done two interviews in my life besides internships, and I got them both. I really, really, really was thinking through what I wanted to do. And it wasn't really job-focused. It was actually New York-focused. I just wanted to move to New York and get started there. And I trusted that everything would work out once I did so. So B&H came up through a mutual friend as most job opportunities do. They come up through somebody that connects you with somebody. Flew to New York, had an interview. Before that, did a lot of networking with my dad's friends, with my community, with my mom's friends. B&H just seemed like a good fit where basically it got me to New York. I knew I could learn a little bit. After about a year, I felt like I had learned 
enough or almost everything in that job position. I was very hungry to look at something else. If I didn't get the job at Bucket Listers, I was ready to basically work two jobs, one at B&H and one to network and to interview and to dive all into the job search. So you were at B&H for what, like a year and a half? I think less. I think it was like a little over a year, but definitely was something that their process of paying people wasn't, I didn't see the upside and I didn't see the growth and I didn't see the exposure to the leadership team or becoming a manager or anything like that. It felt very much like the corporate ladder, which now that I'm at a startup, it kind of irks me, everything corporate. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So on your resume, you talked about analyzing growth opportunities within Deloitte, Anheuser-Busch, mm-hmm. Stanley Black & Decker to reach additional cities that resulted in more than 5x sales growth year on year. Mm-hmm. That was during your time at BNH. What does that mean? And how did you do that, Sam? As we just discussed, you were a journalism mm-hmm. major at Maryland. Did they train you or was this just on the job A good balance. I mean, a lot of that is nurturing relationships and understanding timing and understanding when to reach out and not badgering somebody if they're working on an order, but getting on a phone call and connecting with them personally and saying, Hey, tell me a little bit more about not just this one order, same idea, right? Not just this one order, but like, what's the company want to do in the next year? And then understanding that. And then if they mention another market, Oh boy. Okay. Now they mentioned another market. That means that there's another opportunity to build up an entire studio and maybe the studio is even bigger. And just really looking at every opportunity as this growth opportunity. And again, not feeling very salesy, understanding that this is a win-win partnership. If we are already getting ahead of this and tackling your future issues, let's just do it now and bundle it up together. Sales came very naturally, but at the same time, I think relationship building is where I've always wanted to be a part of and has excelled in. As you know, I was a journalist for 20 years. Yeah. But unlike you, Sam, (laughs) I didn't study it. I did not major in journalism. I had no clue that that was something I would go into, even though I was involved in like my college radio station and by my senior year was the news director. It was something that I did for fun. Mm -hmm. But then when I was in my early 40s and I was fired from CNN by the new president, I had to discover how those skills that I had been honing as a journalist were transferable. Can you talk us through kind of your mindset and your thinking as May 2019 was approaching, which is when you graduated? from Maryland. And you had been presumably networking, as you mentioned, with various family friends, I'm guessing classmates, maybe even beyond that. And how you were thinking about the skills that you had, if you were at all. There was nerves for sure. And at the same time, you know, we'll talk about mindfulness soon. There was a lot of composure, trust in myself that it was going to work out and not again, tackling everything at once. Like we put so much pressure on ourselves to be 22 years old, coming out of college and knowing exactly what we want to do. And the best thing you can do is probably pick where you want to live and who you want to be around and understanding that 
your five best friends are going to be a reflection of you. And if you trust them and they got great jobs, then you're going to be built up and learn on the fly as well. Learning on the fly is something that for whatever reason, sometimes seems to have a negative connotation where it's like, you're not prepared. Learning on the fly for me means that you're a sponge. You're just taking everything in. You're really excited about learning opportunities with you and with me. Maybe we didn't study what we're doing now, but we're quick learners and we dive into it. And like I mentioned, I'm a sponge. I want to take everything in from people that are above me, but also people that are under me. There's, there's learning opportunities everywhere. Speaking of learning opportunities, while you were an undergrad, mm-hmm. you had four internships, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. And they ran the gamut from <laughs> working on a philanthropic broadcast content to working as a content creation intern at a venture backed startup. Mm-hmm. It was a Hispanic digital media company. Mm-hmm. How did you get these internships, Sam? And were you deliberate in choosing the type of industry or the type of company that you wanted to work in? Or were you just like, who's going to hire me? Looking back now, it's funny because I love working with kids. And obviously, I speak Spanish now. And so it's almost like I had it mapped out. I didn't. Ryan Seacrest Studios was my favorite internship ever. I mean, working with kids, understanding the sensitivity behind actually being at a news channel in a hospital that only airs through the hospital was impactful. It made me understand that there's a level of impact that you can have as an employee of something when you make real connections with your audience. And our audience was the kids in the hospital that for an hour in their day was their favorite time of the day to work with us and to make funny news programs that aired through the hospital. And one kid felt like he was famous in the hospital because he had a building toy show and all that. So I really appreciated Ryan Secret Studios for helping me learn journalism. And I checked the boxes of what the journalism school was looking for. But really, it was working with kids, which I love to do. The rest of it is really milking connections. My stepmom works for iHeartRadio. She's on TV and radio in Chicago. That was that iHeart position. And then my uncle Doug and my aunt from Tijuana they started Me Too. So that's where I moved into Me Too. I did an internship there for the summer. Those two were really connection-based. I'll say the negative side of it was that I didn't feel like I was earning the positions or on a day-to-day. I was mostly learning as much as possible and floating around, but it wasn't as much of like a, a grind of a position where I felt like, wow, I'm really confident in my role here. I was just learning about the business, which probably helped a lot. But at the time, I felt still a lot of nerves about my career. What am I good at? And it wasn't necessarily like specific. Do you feel like doing that variety of job functions at those Mm -hmm. different companies helped you to sort of rule out maybe things you didn't want to do? Less so about what you did, but you were at least filtering out the kinds of things that maybe weren't a good fit. A hundred percent. I mean, before those internship opportunities, I might have taken a job at another company and been like, wow, this is awesome. I got offered a job from iHeart out of college. And it was something that I actually passed on because I thought that I'd already kind of seen what that world was because of the internship. And I knew that that job as I think was a media planner didn't allow me to engage with my partners. It was actually me just going to direct report to my manager. And I was like, wow, that really means I'm talking to one person throughout my entire tenure there. And it freaked me out. And the fact that I was able to communicate that it freaked me out with myself was a clear sign that I needed to look at something that was going to be more 
me to all my partners, you know, controlling a portfolio and, and understanding that like bucket listers, it's very fresh on a daily basis. I'm talking to a plethora of partners. So it's really exciting on that end. But I agree with what you said. I mean, you rule out a lot with the more you do. And for me, it was also tackling different cities. That was Chicago, LA, that was DC, that was Baltimore. I got to see these different cities and understand what a commute felt like and understand like what I was interested in, as well as New York with B&H. So I really feel like I got an understanding of not just the job and the role, but also the city, which is a huge factor when people are moving. What advice do you have for students in terms of how they can choose the best internships for them? And again, the mindset to have going into these internships. Yeah. I mean, the mindset has to be open chalkboard, like just take in so much information, go above and beyond in terms of not necessarily the work that you put in during the day, but out a lot of thinking, a lot of brainstorming and max creativity, I would say isn't really important. So if bringing in ideas or one thing I did at Meet Too is I actually had to pitch sometimes and it was just like me in a room and I would pitch. And I don't know if they were really taking my advice or my uncle was putting me in the position, but it got me comfortable with speaking in front of people. And that was really important. Whether it's an interview and it's one-on-one or it's talking to a team, feeling confident about yourself is going to be your number one driver and something that actually exudes. People exude confidence. So as you're jumping in to you know, your next interview or looking at your next internship, Feeling confident, even if you don't have the skills, you have the personality or you have the charisma or you have the desire to learn, which is a skill set to dive in. And and that's probably going to be your number one trait of success at this time when you don't have a specific skill set. No one's really expecting you to know the ins and outs of an industry when you're 22 years old. Absolutely. And again, I think a lot of students discount all of the skills they do have, mm-hmm. even if it's in a particular major, when you start taking inventory of your technical skills, like yeah. your writing, your verbal communications, your analytical skills, your creativity, your interpersonal team building, whatever it is, like yeah. all of these are transferable into all kinds of different job functions. There you go. And so if a resume is giving you difficulty or struggle or stress, get it out there, but don't worry too much about your resume because it is these non-resume transferable skills that when you're in a room with somebody, the resume kind of gets put aside. They look at it, but the resume is actually something that just gets you in the door. They want to hear who you are. And what I appreciate about the bucket listers interview process was that was really what it was. They wanted to see my photos from my travel trip to Sedona. They wanted to see that I was someone that was constantly on the move, but really understood markets and understood population and demographics and things like that, rather than that I knew what Ticketmaster was and how how ticketing worked. It wasn't about that. It was about who I was. I love that you just touched on some of your many interests because that's where we're going now. We talked about Spanish, You're also a marathon runner. You're into creative writing. I know you journal. I'm not sure if you're still journaling every day. I know you were doing, yes, you're nodding your head. Photos, video, travel, and mindfulness. Mm. And I 
want to dig into that last one with you right now, because that's something we actually share most of those other (laughs) things in common, Sam, but I'm super passionate about, in my case, the mindfulness and meditation practice. And I would love to hear about what's involved in your practice and how you think it's affected your productivity and your professional journey thus far since you graduated. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And I'm excited to, to speak more on it. For me, it's really about communicating with yourself, understanding that your mind, body, and spirit are kind of different entities. And when you connect them, you really feel whole. And that's the way I teach. I teach a physical body scan. So what you're doing is mentally, we're touching our toes and we're connecting our brain to our toes. And you're really going up the body and thinking through all these body parts. You're appreciating health along the way. You are using your imagination. If your hands are on your stomach, you think of meal that you had recently or a meal that you're looking forward to. Then we can get some imagination in there of the colors on the plate of the food or the people you're with at the table and really understanding that I can spin a brain or your thought patterns with just as simple as saying, think of a plate that is covered with green food. Now think of it covered in yellow food. Now think of a cuisine from a different country. Now we're thinking of Italy. We're thinking of Spanish food. We're thinking of American food. And you can really toss a brain around And when you're teaching meditation or mindfulness and it's noon on a Friday, it's 8 a.m. on a Wednesday, you can also use the date of the calendar and say, hey, we're midway through June. Today is Tuesday, June 14th. It is 10.55 Eastern time. You have a whole day ahead of you of opportunity of growth. You also have a whole week ahead of you. You have half your month left. How do you want to attack your goals this next half a month? So there's all these different ways, especially on a Monday, right? You have the whole week ahead of you. Or Sunday night, think about the week in review. Different strategies that I picked up really naturally. My favorite is sending your brain into outer space and thinking of all your problems and seeing how small they are on planet Earth. That viewpoint is wild, especially once you've built up this mindfulness journey in the last 30 minutes. So I do that at the very end of the mindfulness practice. And I get a lot of people when they do that last deep breath of the day, they feel all their problems escape. Doesn't matter how many emails are in your email inbox or all the activities that you already have planned this week. You can just slow it down. And so that's really what mindfulness has done for me. I'm active, as we just discussed. I am flying around the world. I am running marathons. And if I didn't have a balance, if I wasn't able to slow down and go at different speeds, I'd burn out by the time I'm... I don't know how old I'd be, but I would. I would burn out. The fact that I have this self-communicative. I I understand my body really well. And it's through mindfulness. And I understand my mind and my spirit. And I'm not afraid to dive into whatever my body is telling me to do. If I need extra sleep, if I need to go for a run, if I need to travel, I'll book travel, like anything like that. The mindfulness journey for me came very naturally. I never had any sort of mental health issues. But I was always very focused on happiness issues. I was always, how do I get more happy? How do I understand what makes me happy? And and that's communicating with your body. Oh, that is so, so beautiful. And I am really in awe of you, Sam, because I didn't discover mindfulness and meditation until I was in my 50s. And it has totally rocked my world. And the fact that you have 
already tapped into this like secret world <laughs> is so amazing. I just want to lay out for you what my interpretation mm -hmm. of mindfulness and meditation are sure. and see if it gels with yours. The way that I've been taught mindfulness is really, as you just said, like that body scan and mm. the five senses, Great. taste, touch, vision, hearing, feeling, right? It's a way for you to get into your body. Meditation is about getting out of your brain and the intellect that we're in, like, you know, we're always analyzing and slicing and dicing and all of that, but we aren't really in our hearts and our gut. Mm -hmm. The reason that I love meditation so much is that when you get out of your head and into your heart and gut, that's where your intuition lies. And when you said when you were a senior and then, you know, you took that leap and went to work for B&H, you were trusting yourself, which I think, unfortunately, is a big deficit for Gen Z. Mm -hmm. And frankly, probably for every generation before that there's a lack of trusting when you're in your 20s that actually the answer is inside you. It's not with your parents or your friends or your fill in the blank, whoever's sure. in your world, right? Mm -hmm. Does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that influence us every day. And so once you are grounded and you really trust your gut and you're your number one influence, well, now you can make confident decisions knowing that you're a hundred percent behind them. I had met someone when I was traveling in Oaxaca where I was learning how to surf. Totally different story. But I met this woman and she said she'd been traveling for about three years. She started trusting her gut about three years ago. And she said she never is indecisive about a decision again. She doesn't take her long to think through her decisions, whether it's big or small. She just trusts her gut and then she goes. And I was like, wow, that's completely freeing. Like you are literally just like going through your intuition and your gut, you feel it. Am I going this way or am I going that way? Okay, I'm going that way. Perfect. Done deal. Don't need to go over the decision for 10 days and go back and forth. The mindfulness versus meditation conversation. Meditation is very, very difficult for me because I am so active. I'm always slicing and dicing. I'm thinking of a million things. Mindfulness allows me to slowly dive into it. It's not me telling you to sit still and clear your head. That is very difficult for somebody to do when it's a forceful action. Mindfulness is much more inviting. I invite you to close your eyes or you can keep them slightly open at a downward gaze. I invite you to think about your third eye and understand that it connects with anywhere in your body instantaneously. And you can think from your third eye to your fingers and you can wiggle your fingers. How cool is it that we have the power to send that message from our head to our neck, to our chest, to our arms, to the fingers. And that's what mindfulness does. At the end of a mindfulness practice, I am much more in an element where I can meditate, if that makes sense. I've loosened up my mind. I'm now in a state of calm or a state of relaxation that I can now jump into meditation. But for me, meditation, just like sitting down and ready to meditate is very difficult for me. 
the fact that I teach mindfulness, I actually think it'd be really difficult for anyone else. I invite you to find your own thing that works for you. Totally. The woman that I learned with, who's actually in New York, she teaches online recorded meditation practices, one of the first teachers to do that. She was the first meditation teacher that I had who helped me to recognize that asking your brain to stop thinking thoughts while Mm. you're meditating is as unrealistic as asking your heart to stop beating because it's involuntary. And the act of thoughts coming in and out of your head is actually almost like a cleansing practice. Mm -hmm. And it isn't that you're doing it wrong. You're doing it right. So you just watch the thoughts go and come back to the mantra. But anyway, that's kind of what helped me. How did you discover mindfulness? How did you get into this space? Yeah. I mean, if you ask my mom, I was spiritual growing up, whether it was coloring or journaling, right? Journaling is a form of mindfulness practice. Appreciating a great view or a photo is a form of mindfulness practice. So I'm the biggest proponent that mindfulness is really applicable. It takes two seconds to be mindful. It takes 30 minutes to potentially have a mindfulness session. There's all these different elements of mindfulness. I'll credit my cousin, Courtney, who is a practicing lawyer that started teaching mindfulness to law firms, people that are very high stressed. And she turned it into a career. And she brought it in a little bit with the yoga, with the mindfulness into our family. And then I ran with it. It wasn't something where I've done any sort of formal training course that's on my bucket list. I definitely want to do retreats and dive into that more. But for me, it's just very natural. The script that I have when I teach mindfulness, I'll post on my Instagram. I'll say, Hey, June 15th at 8am, I'm teaching a mindfulness session. I'll get about five to eight people to join and I'll teach. And the script is very much a free flowing. Really the coolest part is when I'm teaching, I'm also one of the students. I have like two separate sides of my brain where the words are coming very naturally to me but I'm doing the practice. And at the end, I feel as good as my students feel. That's cool. It shows you a little bit of the power of mindfulness where you are actually pulling away from everything else to the point where my words and what's coming through my brain is separate than what is happening to my body, which is a state of relaxation unlike any other. It's a real body high, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. So Sam, I try to ask all of my guests to share a time in their professional life when they struggled. And we can go back to Mm -hmm. any of the internships that you've had while you were in school. And the important piece here is less about whether it's a failure or a face planting and maybe some of the shame or embarrassment and more about how we all experience this. And It's a learning opportunity. It's an opportunity to also practice resilience. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple that come up in my head. I remember picking a major and I was between business and journalism for a couple schools like New York. When I picked that, Maryland was just a better fit. So it didn't really matter what major I was studying. Maryland was a better fit. That's where I got into the journalism school there. So I'll do journalism. Great. I'll figure it out. But really, I think it was during the internships. I think it was when I was at iHeart. I was doing all these different internships and didn't really feel like I was an expert at any... I was waiting for that sign that was like, you're going to love this. And so when I shadowed the radio host, I'm like, great, I'm going to be on radio. 
10 minutes in, I was like, I don't really like radio. And I think that was really scary because I'm waiting for somebody to give me the answer. And it just doesn't necessarily work like that. That happens with doubt comes in your brain. You're like, well, what am I actually good at? Did I just waste four years in journalism? You start to boil up. You start to get a lot of different stresses and fears that you're never going to be successful or whatever. For me, I think that's when it was it. It was probably during those internships that some of them felt like I got them because they were connection-based and it wasn't really earned. And I just wanted to prove myself in some way, probably to myself more than any other person. So you have this slate of all these different ways that your life can go and it can get very overwhelming. And so I think that's when I struggled the most. And the way that I fought against it was kind of trusting that the world was going to work out and not putting too much weight on one individual moment in my life. I knew I was going to learn more somewhere. And when I was going to learn more, I was going to be a force to be dealt with. Maybe I didn't know a lot then, but I didn't feel like that's all I was ever going to know. I knew I was always going to be someone that learned more. <laughs> totally. And I think, I mean, it's so obvious to me looking at what you've done thus far and getting the opportunity to get to know you a little bit that you are a total force to be reckoned with, <laughs> Sam. And you have so much going for you. And the most important thing is that you have learned to listen to your own intuition. None of us has the answer or the insight into what is going to happen tomorrow, mm -hmm. let alone a year or five years from now. So living, learning to live in the moment and trusting yourself to make decisions that even if it's not a good fit on the professional side, that's part of the process of learning. It's an essential step. As you started out this show by saying, it's the stepping stones mm -hmm. to discovering, let's say, your passion, your passions, and your purpose. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the book, The Alchemist, and the term is personal legend, discovering your personal legend. Here you go. You have the book. Beautiful. Huge book. Our CEO sends that to everybody that joins the company. And that's when I first read it, when I first joined Bucket Listers. And you better believe it set a fire under me. I really appreciated the storytelling of that book. I like business books, but that's very analytical. It's very... The Alchemist is a story that opens up your brain to possibilities that you can make any goal you want and you can start going towards it right now. It's beautiful. I have it right by my desk. I look at it every nice. day. It's a reminder because in this mm -hmm. book written by Paul Coelho, the shepherd boy has the right mindset. Mm -hmm. Every single obstacle and curveball that comes into his life, he takes it on board as this is just another part of my life. Yeah. It's not like it's far from it being a negative. It's something you want to look for. Where's the opportunity? Yeah. And when you travel, this idea of silver lining 
always comes up. You get a flight canceled. Well, maybe there's a silver lining. You lose all your money or you leave it in a bus. Well, maybe there's a silver lining. And so it's happened to me countless times. I look at my journals. I'm like, if that didn't happen that day, then I would have never met that person. And that person became my best friend. Like, you know, it's something crazy like that. Love it. So final question. If you could go back to the University of Maryland and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, Sam, what advice would you give yourself? The first thing in my mind is don't change anything. I always liked my mindset and we'll talk about transferable skills over and over and over again. A lot of what I learned in college was social skills that I use on the daily now, now that I'm connected with venues and partners. And I'm using that constantly. It's not just about the deal structure. It's actually about the nurturing of relationships. I learned that in college. I would have loved to utilize my resources more in college. A lot of it was kind of free-flowing and fun. But there was a lot of on-campus opportunities, communities I could have joined that I didn't necessarily join because I didn't feel like I had the time for it. I did have the time for it. I was just prioritizing other things. I would say that. I would say dive into the communities because those are going to be your network and people that you can utilize and that you would want to utilize genuinely for jobs, for LinkedIn purposes, for just friends in the city. I mean, the amount of friends that I have scattered all over the world now, that's a legit reason to travel. I have a buddy in, you know, wherever. Now I'll go there for a weekend or for two weeks or for six months. (laughs) Yes. um, I would say that look around and utilize the resources around you more because those are learning opportunities. And why are we passing up learning opportunities? That's what I would tell myself. Great advice. Sam, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Hope we can do it again sometime. Maybe we'll do one where we bring my mom in and we'll do a, yes, a whole shebang. Amazing. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.